the prayers of one one lady can go a long ways, you know, in the kingdom. And thanks for the wonderful lead-in to my message this morning. I want to talk about a crisis of belief. And uh, <laughs> it sounds like you faced some of those things um, as you were at, in the challenge that you, that you were describing there. But before we get to that, I want to... Uh, I want to give you guys an opportunity to have some audience participation here this morning. And uh, the way I want to do that is I'm going to pray. I want to pray a very simple prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And uh, while I'm speaking, if uh, you get a word of knowledge or something about uh, maybe a word of healing, a word of knowledge for healing, or uh, just a picture or something like that, that you feel like the Lord would have you to share with the church, I'm going to make time for you to do that. Um, as we conclude here this morning. So let's just ask the Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord, just to drop uh, your heart in our uh, hearts this morning, God. We just ask um, right now for words of knowledge. Lord, we ask you to release healing in this place this morning and encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One thing I forgot to do was dismiss the kids. So, Judah, you can go, and if there's any other remaining kids in here that didn't leave already, um, it's like he's the only one. What an obedient child. <laughs> Good job. Um, as I was preparing for this morning, one thing that I felt like, the one thing that really struck my heart, that I felt really strongly the Lord wanted me to say to you guys, is how much it blesses me to see how many people in this church really sincerely have a heart to walk with God. Have a big heart to really serve God and to really go after God with all that you have. And, um, you know, there's a few people in the Bible that had this phrase, Noah walked with God. You know, Enoch walked with God. What a tremendous couple of words to have as your name, as a behind at, in front of your name as a memorial, you know. And uh, you know, it's it's such it's so awesome to think that you know Travis is Travis desires to walk with God. You know, I can I know that about Travis. <laughs> you know, um, Eric desires to walk with God. Larry desires to walk with God. Elijah desires to walk with God. You know, and that that is just a um, tremendous thing. And I feel like it's such a blessing that honestly the Lord has given all of us. Um, in the first service before worship, Stephen made a comment, just a, kind of a comment about how grateful he was that the Lord chose to snatch him up by the hair and rescue him and bring him to this, you know, bring him to a place in his life where he's at with the Lord. And uh, I thought, well, that's a vivid way to think about it. But yeah, I am too, Lord. And uh, so I want to say that first and. And also I want to say that um, we, have a de we have decisions to make regularly, obviously. And um, the interesting thing about the sovereignty of God, is, and one thing that I haven't quite figured out that I continually rest with, is God is in control of all things. God knows everything, but yet He gives us a choice. You know, He gives us a choice to choose what, which way we're going to go each and every day. And... Uh, that's an interesting thing to consider, and uh, I want to remind you of recently the decision that I feel like the Lord has set before us, 
as individuals and as a church. And that is, you know, for months we've heard messages on the kingdom of God and, and the reality of the supernatural world. In the past three weeks, we've heard messages about as you go, preach. And Jesus' mission statement of Luke 4.18. And, um, you know, Byron really stressed that a preacher is not just someone who stands up here on Sunday or has an evangelistic crusade, but that you are a preacher. In other words, you carry with you a message to take that your neighbors need, that people need as you go. Not just as you go to Europe or as you go to Argentina, as I wanted to mention, Jim just got back from Argentina, so we want to hear from him next week about some of the cool things that God did there. I got a little preview the other day, but let me just give you a little, let me ruin it a little bit. But Jim was sharing with me that he has an opportunity to possibly reach one of the two completely unreached people groups in South America with the gospel. So um, he was pretty excited about that. <laughs> and uh, so I want, I'm gonna, we're going to have to put that off till next week, but I want him to uh, share a little bit about that um, with us. Um, but um, as you go preach, cast out demons, heal the sick, etc., all of those things that are included in Luke 4, 18 and 19, we've heard the Lord's invitation. And meant most of us, and I can say as a church, we responded, yes, Lord, we want your mission statement to be our mission statement as a group. We want to do these things. We want to be involved in the things that you care about. We want that favor to be on our lives and on our church. However, the problem is, whenever the Lord speaks to you and invites you to be involved in something that He's doing, there's a crisis that happens and um, Henry Blackaby calls that the crisis of belief, in which at that moment you have to decide what you truly believe about God. That decision is made by what you do. The decision is not made by what you say. The decision is made by what you do. Ken Helser has a great painting, and it's this old farmhouse, and it's got some laundry hanging on the line outside, and it says, home is where we get to live out what we like to talk about. You see, it's easy for me to talk big on Sunday morning standing up here preaching to you. It's more difficult for me to live out what I say on Sunday morning, Monday through Saturday at home. Maybe that's your experience. I don't know. So, uh, I should say, what, I'm, what I want to talk about to, to you this morning, I should preface by saying that um, one of the books that has really impacted my life um, tremendously is this little Bible study, actually it's not too little, but a, a Bible study book called Experiencing God. How many people are familiar with that book? Yeah, several people. And uh, it used to be a, a, a book of emphasis in our church for, um, for people. And I just wanted to remind you, if, if you've never uh, you know, read that book or gone through the Bible study, it's an excellent, excellent book for a person who really their heart's desire is to walk with God to understand exactly how to do that from a biblical perspective. I think Blackaby captures in there not a method, not a formula, not a program, but a pattern of God's working throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, even today. He captures that pattern 
and it's really insightful. And I just recently went through it again for the second or third time and was just really blown away by, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know, hearing and knowing the voice of God is what it's all about. So anyway, I brought a copy with me today. I, I'm not trying to advertise this. He's no, making no money off of me, but, or I should say I'm making no money off of him. But this is the Bible study book. He's got a, a painting of Moses on the front, and uh, I would highly recommend you taking a look at that. And some of the things that I'm, I'm you'll hear me quote Blackaby quite often in what I want to say here this morning because I feel like his heart is really insightful in all of this. Um, so, as far as Jesus' mission statement, uh, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. You know, He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to uh, set free the downtrodden, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, to to uh, open the blind eyes, all those things that are included there. Like I said, um, it's something that I feel like we all have a heart to do, but when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, um, what will our actions say about what we truly believe about God in all of this? Um, I guess first of all, we, I need to ask is, do you believe that God is truly speaking to us through these messages that especially Byron has preached over the past couple of weeks. Um, Byron, I've never known Byron to be such a fiery evangelistic preacher as he's been the past couple of weeks, and personally I think that's a sign that it's really the Lord. Um, he's been quite animated and, and excited about what he's been saying, and I do really feel like the Lord is, is preparing us for something here. Um, so the question is, how will we respond? How will we respond to this challenge, to this crisis, if you will? I was uh, looking up the word crisis in the dictionary, in the modern dictionary, and uh, it defines it as an unstable or uncertain time or state of affairs. The outcome of which will have a major impact, the turning point for better or worse in a hectic situation. Can anybody relate with that? Anybody ever have hectic situations? Uncertain times. Of course. So in addition, I ask you, what is your crisis of belief today? Are there things in your life that you're facing that, you know, you've got a decision to make? What do I truly believe about God? Blackaby says about the word crisis that it comes from a word that means decision. The same Greek word is often translated judgment. The crisis of belief is a turning point where you must make a decision. You must decide what you believe about God. How you respond at this turning point will determine whether you go on to be involved with God in something that is God's size that only He can do, or whether you will continue to go your own way and miss what God has purposed for your life. This is not a one-time experience. It's a daily experience. I think that's what Jesus said when He said, Take up your cross. Daily, you know, That's what this is. How you live your life is a testimony of what you believe about God. How you live your life is a testimony of what you believe about God. Byron used a passage from the end of the book of Mark where Jesus you know, um, gives the Great Commission. And Jesus has just risen to the dead in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. And it says that when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had driven seven demons. 
she went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they immediately believed her and ran around dancing. No, unfortunately. Now, this is the disciples we're talking about here. Loved Jesus, walked with him. No, it says they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest. But they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus caught up with the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal. Their stubborn refusal, that's pretty strong words, to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Man, if they couldn't believe, what's my situation? <laughs> you know, how will I ever? God's invitation, okay, I want you to really hear this. This is the key. God's invitation for you to work with him always, always leads you to a crisis of belief that will require two things it requires faith. It also requires action. There's many examples of this in Scripture that I can think of, just to mention a few um, real briefly. The first one is you know, Joshua and the walls of Jericho. Now think about this. You're one of the people in the, in the nation there, and the leader comes to you and says, All right, guys, here's the plan. God's given us this city. What I want you to do is take up your ram's horn and march around this wall and shout real loud, and the walls are coming down. Any takers? <laughs> well, we know the story. They did it, and it worked. But how easy it is to read that story and fail to realize the magnitude of what really happened there. How about this one? This is, I think, even more absurd. Gideon is leading the army of God, and a multinational force comes against the people of God. Well, it's not bad news, though, because Gideon actually has 32,000 foot soldiers and infantry and I don't know what else, 32,000 men at his disposal. Wait a second. The Lord says to Gideon, but Gideon, you don't get it. I want you to send home 31,700 of those 32,000 men. Do what? Can you imagine being one of the leftover 300? You're sitting there, man, Gideon. I know you hear from the Lord, but come on. I mean, there's only... Yeah. You get the picture. It's a crisis of belief. You know, David and the Philistines, he continually had problems with this bunch. They were always a thorn in the side of the Israelites. David would go to, the, go to God and say, Lord, should I fight the Philistines? Yes, my son, go. The battle is yours. The next day, Lord, should I fight the Philistines? No, my son, the battle is not yours. Should I? Yes, no. You know, it was, it was kind of back and forth. And uh, what I noticed about this is David never depended upon God's Word from yesterday to determine how he would face his challenges for today. And you see, that's one of the big things that we have to remember. Yes, there are patterns to follow, but there's not a formula. There's not a formula to follow. There's a person to be in a relationship with that will give us the wisdom that we need for this day. Uh, this is a good example of how God wants you to depend on Him, not a method or program. What worked yesterday or in some other church may not be what God wants to use today. 
Or one last one, and this is a great one too. Peter and Jesus are hanging out, and they come to this dilemma of needing a coin to pay the temple tax so not to make people really upset. Now, of course, Peter is a professional fisherman, correct? He knows what he's doing. Well, Jesus said, this is easy, easy, Peter. All you need to do is go to the lake, cast in your rod, the first fish you pull out, open its mouth, it'll have a coin in it, you pay the temple tax, problem solved. <laughs> That's a good, good one, Jesus. You know, G- Peter had many crises of faith, many of whom he did not pass the first time. But this one he did. You've got to give Pete a lot of credit there. Don't you say, how many of you would have uh, taken Jesus at his word the first time on that one? A crisis of belief is something that you will face whenever the Word of God comes to your heart and you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Now let me pause for a minute and just share a personal example of this that's been probably one of the biggest examples of this in mine and Sarah Ruth's life. Is, uh, in the summer of 2001, um, we faced a situation in which we got involved in a legal custody battle over my son Noah. Um, and, uh, you know, we felt like we were supposed to fight for his custody, for him to live at our house, and obviously his mom felt the other. And there's probably people in this room who have been through that or what have you, and so you can probably relate to, to an extent. And uh, you can also probably understand if you've ever been through anything like that, it's not something that you necessarily want to do. It's not a fun process. And so here we were, you know, meeting with lawyers and having these mediations and going through this whole heart-wrenching process that was just really hard on everybody, but yet we felt like it was a necessary battle to fight. In the meantime, that summer, I went on a missions trip to uh, Zimbabwe, Africa. Um, Byron mentioned that trip a few weeks ago. And uh, while I was there, I got a very clear word from the Lord. And the Lord said to me, He said, Matthew, I want you to call off this fight. Well, kind of like Peter or Gideon. <laughs> I was like, what? You know, that doesn't make sense, Lord. Why am I doing this? All I, know, all I heard was, I want you to call off this fight and I want you to trust me because the battle is mine. So, um, thankfully, the grace of God um, gave me great faith. And I knew I'd heard from the Lord, so I came home and the, one of the first things I told Sarah, I think, when I got off the plane is, honey, we're calling this thing off. And, you know, she didn't exactly know what to think about that, but she went with me on it and felt a peace about it. And so, called the lawyers, said it's over. We're not doing this anymore, and we'll just give this thing up. You see, there was a, um, there was a word that came to my heart from the Lord, but I had a choice. I could say, okay, you know what? In the natural, that doesn't make any sense when I'm hearing that can't be God. On the other hand, I could say, okay... I have confidence that I've heard the Lord, so I'm going to act. I'm going to take an action and call the thing off, which is what I did. And you see, in many situations, that's a pretty big one, but even in small ones, you will face that same crisis of belief, that same decision. There's four principles here 
that I just want to quickly touch on for the sake of time um, that have to do with the crisis of belief. The first one is, number one, an encounter with God requires faith. That's just the foundation. That's the basics. Number two, encounters with God are God-sized. Number three, what you do in response to God's revelation or invitation reveals what you believe about God. Like the old Arthur Burtism that Jim has said more times than I can even count, what you believe rules you. It tells what you, what you believe will be played out in your actions. And fourth, true faith requires action. So let's start with faith. First of all, the basics. Hebrews 11.1, you can probably quote it from memory. What is faith? Faith is simply being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certain of what we do not see. Faith is confidence that what God has promised or said will come to pass. If God said it, then it's so. Whether I can see it, feel it, hear it, taste it or not, it's so. Another verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. So what is the opposite of faith? Sight. Or fear, yes, because you're living by sight. That's the opposite of faith. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that, what? Your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So on what should we base our faith? God's power. On what should we not base our faith? Men's wisdom. How many people know when you're facing a crisis, it's easy to pick up the phone? Call your best friend, call your mama, call your pastor for that matter. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But at the same time, we cannot trust on men's wisdom alone, but on the wisdom of God primarily, upon what He says. Now, many times His Word comes through the pastor or through your mama, for that matter. Probably most of the time it comes through your mama. But, um, so those things can work hand in hand, but I think you get the picture there. Now, Blackaby, I want to read this quote. This is great. Your faith does not rest on a concept or an idea. Faith must be in a person, God Himself. If you or someone else decides something would be nice to have happen and then lead people to believe or have faith, you're in a dangerous position. Faith is only valid in God and what He says He is purposing to do. If the thing you expect to happen is from you and not God, then guess what? You must depend on what you can do. Before you call yourself or your family or your church to exercise faith, be sure you've heard a word from God. It's kind of frightening, isn't it? Yeah. So why is faith so important? Without faith, the Bible says it's what? It's impossible to please God. It's impossible. Because anyone that comes to Him must believe, one, that He exists, and that He, second, rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I think we all got, most of us have the first part down. We believe God exists, right? Most of us are here this morning. We believe God exists. 
However, the second is a little bit more tricky. How many of us sincerely believe, not just mentally, but in our hearts, we know that God rewards those who earnestly seek Him? So an encounter with God requires faith. Second, encounters with God are God-sized. Blackaby goes on here in this part and says, God is interested in people coming to know Him. That's what He's really interested in. And the only way people will know what God is like is when they see Him at work. They know His nature when they see His nature expressed in His activity. What our world, unfortunately, is often seeing many times in our day is a devoted, committed, Christian-serving God. But they're not seeing God necessarily. They comment on what we are doing. Well, there's a wonderful, dedicated, committed group of people committed to a good cause. They, however, do not see anything happening that can only be explained in terms of the activity of God. Why not? Because we're not attempting anything that only God can do many times generally speaking. And here's the real key. When God's people and the world see something happen that only God can do, they come to know God. Isn't that a wonder? Isn't that what we're here for? You see, when braces fall off of the cripple, you know God's up to something. When when someone who's been blind from birth, their eyes receive sight, the most heart of heart suddenly softens. <laughs> this is a great example of that. Um, Moses was camped with the Israelites on the border of the Red Sea, you know, after they had left Egypt. And uh, God said that um, in this whole process of them getting out of town and you know, parting the Red Sea and getting across it, he said that he would gain glory for himself through all of this. And then on down in Exodus chapter 14, after the Israelites had crossed through the parted waters, and of course the Egyptian army came rushing in and were completely and utterly destroyed um, by God's hand through the water, it says that when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him. The people feared the Lord. So you see, the supernatural activity of God is not just, oh man, that's really cool, or wow, look at the power that God has. It's because people recognize that and respond to God's prompting. Another great example of, that, of this is King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. And you know, we probably all heard the story in Sunday school or in your children's Bibles and, and read it to our kids of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, in the fiery furnace and how, you know, the king said, bow to this image, they refused, and so he cast them into the fiery furnace. And, uh, but they said to the king before they were cast in, they said, the God we serve is able to save us from it and He will rescue us from your hand. And I'm going to skip down a little bit. And uh, then, to make a long story short, after they came out unscathed from this incredibly hot fire, this pagan, honestly, honestly um, horrible, 
committed atrocities beyond Saddam Hussein probably. King Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, from the same region exactly, the same place in the world. He said this, okay? Now, this is not King David here having a party in the house of God. This is a pagan King Nebuchadnezzar. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And skipping on down. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned to piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. And then in the next chapter, this pagan king writes a royal decree to the entire nation. This is what he says. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs. How mighty His wonders. (laughs) It's amazing. How could that be? Again, Blackaby says, the world comes to know God when they see God's nature expressed through His activity. When God starts to work, He accomplishes something that only He can do. When God does that, both God's people and the world come to know Him in ways they have never known Him before. That is why God gives God-sized assignments to His people. Because they're only things only He can do. Third, what you do in response to God's invitation reveals what you believe about God regardless of what you say. Think about David and Goliath. Everybody told him not to do it. It's not a good idea, David. At least take this armor. At least take this sword. No, I serve a living God. That statement right there shows you what David believed about his God. He was living. God could do the impossible. On the other hand, consider the story of Sarah and Abraham. God had promised Abraham a seed, a physical son that would lead to him become the father of many nations. Yet Sarah's response was less than agreeable. No way, because why? She could only see what the physical realm showed her. She could not see the impossible. There's no way that I can bear a child in my old age. Sarah's belief about God was limited by her human reason. You know, here's the reality. Unbelief is very costly. Unbelief is very costly. Byron talked about the centurion and his faith. When he came to Jesus, he had a sick child. He said, I tell you what, Jesus, just speak the word. Say the word and he will be healed. And Jesus said of this, he, he said to the, his, the people following him, he's like, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. This is incredible that he has this much faith. Fourth and last is true faith simply just requires action. James 2.26 As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is also dead. When, When you face a crisis of belief, what you do demonstrates what you believe. Faith without action is dead. Now, All that I'm saying has to be taken in light of the awesome grace of God. 
We are not able to make these decisions without the faith of the Son of God, as I believe it's Galatians that says, the faith of the Son of God being released into us. And please understand, I'm not shouting my own praises here in this testimony of Sarah Ruth and mine's great spiritual status by any means. I want to testify simply by the grace of God that when we face a situation with our son, we were able to say, okay, Lord, we trust you. We called off the battle. We gave it to the Lord. Almost exactly two years from that date, in 2003, Noah's mom came and asked to meet with us. And we sat down in our living room. And to our complete surprise, she said, you know what? Um, I think it would be best for Noah to come and live with you. I was so shocked. (laughs) I was like, the battle really is the Lord's. Here, I wanted to fight this battle in my own strength. But God had another plan. Now you see, it may not... It could be that you are supposed to fight that battle and He will work in another way through that. But for me, the Word of God came. I had the crisis of belief and I had a decision to make and by the grace of God, we were able to make the right decision. And he still resides in our house today, which we're very thankful for. The battle's not over, of course, but, you know, the grace of God is sufficient. I just want, I want to wrap up here. I know we're running out of time, but, you know, Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith chapter. I want you to notice the action verbs in these statements that are taken from this passage. Abel offered a righteous sacrifice to God. Enoch pleased God by earnestly seeking Him. Noah built an ark to save his family. Abraham made his home in a foreign country, followed God without knowing where he was going, and offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Moses chose to be mistreated. See, he chose to be. Along with God's people, he left Egypt... And he kept the Passover. And the Israelites passed through the Red Sea on dry ground and marched around the walls of Jericho. And also Rahab welcomed and hid the Israelite spies. That was a great risk that Rahab took. A crisis of belief will always require these things. They'll always require, you know, that that first of all, that... Um, we have faith through the grace of God. That's second, that we realize that this is only something God can do. This is God's size. Third, that what we do, what I do in response to God's invitation to me really shows what I believe about God. And fourth, that if I really truly believe, I'm going to act upon that belief. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read this, but the rest of Hebrew 11 is not always so glamorous as you probably know. There are people that are sawn in two and uh, uh, are martyrs and all of these things. Yet Blackaby has a really keen insight, even in the face of suffering. He says, and I really want you to hear this, outward appearances of success do not always indicate faith. And outward appearances of failure do not always indicate a lack of faith. A faithful servant 
is one that does what his master tells him, whatever the outcome may be. Just like Jesus, he endured the cross, but now he is seated near the very throne of God. Amen? So if you're facing a crisis of belief in your life today, however big or small, and you'd like... You'd like us to pray with you about that and just ask for God's grace to be released. That's my invitation today um, as we're being dismissed. But before we do that, I want to give anybody who um, felt like they got a word from the Lord to just run up here real quick and uh, see what the Lord wants to do on that. Does anybody have anything they feel like they got? All right, come on up here. Um, I just feel like the Lord is saying that He wants to have fun with you. And He doesn't want... I mean, it's good to take things seriously from time to time, but He wants you to know that He wants to have fun with you and that if you just want to chat or just chill out with Him, that's what He wants too. So. Cool. Thanks. Um, I felt like if anybody wanted prayer for headaches, you should come up. And also, um, one thing the Lord showed me this week was um, I felt that, felt that Larry and I were um, sort of getting under pressure of realizing we have limited skills, limited abilities, limited um, money, limited time. And I was feeling all oppressed. And um, I felt like the Lord was saying, that's little thinking, Anne. When you're thinking about those things, yes, that's true. Those are all true. That's little. I want you to do big thinking because that's what I can do. Good. Well, uh, I like the word, the fun word a lot. I receive that word. Um, Ronald Reagan had an anecdote, and it goes like this. There were some scientists and and uh, they wanted to study the effects of pessimism and optimism, so they took one 10-year-old kid and stuck him in a room with all the greatest toys in the world, and the kid walks in there and goes, man, I don't see anything good in here. I mean, where's the real toys, you know? And they stuck another kid in another room with a pile of horse manure, and he walks in there and looks around and says, you can't fool me. I know there's a pony around here somewhere. And uh, the reason why I tell you that is because the truth is, most of us are running into piles of horse manure most of the time. And uh, yesterday, I was driving out towards China Grove. I was going to cut some firewood, and I, and I had Brett Linker's truck. And I stopped at the Atwell One Stop and um, jumped out of my truck. I left the keys in the ignition, shut the door, went in, and got my soda, came right back out. And, uh, well, lo and behold, the doors were locked. And I said, oh, man, this is awful. You know, this is the worst thing, you know, so I'm going around looking at all the windows trying to get in and, and there's nothing and, and I, I call Brett, Brett's phone's off, I call Bunny, Bunny doesn't have any more keys and, uh, and so I called Amy Amy's got seven kids at home, she's got my five kids and the two Davis girls and I'm like, I'm sorry baby, you gotta come get me, you know, that's just all there is I'm standing out here in the, the hot sun and I gotta figure this out so she's on her way to get me, and right as she, I get off the phone with her, two guys in a pickup truck, they pull up behind my truck, and these two big redneck guys get out. 
and uh, <clears throat> and they start walking towards my truck, and the one guy says, "Hey man, can you help us? We just ran out of gas." Like man, I can't help you. I, my my keys are stuck in the truck, man. I, this is ridiculous, and you know. And he goes, "Well, this place must be cursed or something like that." <laughs> I said, "Listen, if you help me get into my truck, I'll go help you get gas." And uh, so he walks over to the back side window, and it's one of those windows that just props open. It doesn't roll up and down. So I'm I'm thinking, whoa! I run into the quick stop. The guy's got a big old long squeegee in there. I I get it, and I run out and I stick it in there. And, uh, and I unlocked the door. Man, I'm, in, I'm within, in my truck and within five minutes of this happening. And it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. It was like, whoa, this is not an accident. This is the Lord, man. This guy has to get into my truck for the next ten minutes to go get his gas and to get back. So I knew it was the Lord, man. So he gets in my truck and I said, what's your name? I said, he said, my name's Shane. I said, Shane, God is after you. He I don't believe in accidents, man. I, I mean, I haven't locked my keys in my truck for 12 years, and, and you, you run out of gas right behind me? This is ridiculous, man. The Lord must be trying to tell you something. What is it? And so all the way there and all the way back, I preached the gospel to this guy. And, and the reason why you have to know this is the Lord is because I am not an evangelist. I am not one of these guys that has a passion for souls. I don't go over to Walmart and start talking to people about God, you know, and, you know, and, and so I'm like, you know, me and Jesus, that's a personal thing, you know, I mean, uh, but, you know, what Byron's been preaching has been getting on me, it's, it's, I, I've been looking for things now where I was never looking for anything before, and it was like, when that guy, you know, it, there, there was my pile of horse manure, and instantly there was a miracle there, and because God set that up so that that guy could have an encounter with him, that he would have never had otherwise. If I had been just, you know, boiled down with the inconvenience of everything, and isn't that the, the, the story of the, um, the, the Good Samaritan? All the church people walked by that guy because they were busy. They were on a schedule. They had places to go, people to see, and that's what God is asking us. He's like, be late. Be late in order to tell somebody about Jesus in order to help somebody. It's okay. That's the cost of following me. You lay down your life, and those are the times that we get to lay down our life. And I think Jim wants to add some more.